Pray with me this morning. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Come, Lord Jesus, into this place. Speak to us. Uh, help us to grow in you, to know you more, and to be mature followers of you, disciples, learners, and help us to grow in our relationship with you and one another this morning. I thank you for the youth leaders and parents and youth that are here, as well as the other leaders and participators in worship. We are grateful to be together in your house. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Today we are looking at making disciples of young people through our church community and through our parenting and through our families. So many of you know we have a guest speaker coming at our 10 o'clock service, uh, Dr. David Olshine. He's the director of youth ministry at Columbia International University, the youth ministry program that I graduated. And because of that, many of you youth and youth parents are here and youth leaders. Thank you for being here and grateful for that and grateful for the youth and the families of our church. Today I want to talk to you about the design of discipleship. This idea that God requires obedience of us at church and at home. Our focal verse this morning is the Shema, which means to listen, and it is from Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, and we read it. Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Acha. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. God said that these are the commandments that I command to you today, and they shall be on your heart. You are to teach God's law and commandment diligently to your children. Teach His commandments diligently to your children. And this is how we are to do it. He says we are to talk about these commandments when we sit at our house. Dinner time. Do you have dinner together with your family? Sitting at your house. Carving out time disconnected from technology to speak of God's Word. When you walk along the way, well, we don't walk along the way anymore, though I did walk to church this morning because our guest speaker has my car, but I walked solo. But we do drive together. We carpool. We're in the car. So as we walk along the way or as we drive along the way, we're to talk about the words of the Lord. When we lie down before bedtime, my daughters and I have sweet time of prayer. been praying the Lord's Prayer over grace, and she's mouthing those words. And now she's saying the Lord's Prayer. She knows it. And we did not set out to teach it to her. She has absorbed it. So when you lie down and when you rise up, the Shema was one of the first, well, it's an oral creed that the Jewish people memorized. Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Acha. From the time they could speak, they committed, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And their entire lives were governed by this Shema. Shall bind them as on your hands and your foreheads. You shall write them on the doorposts of your homes. A devout Jewish home will have a mezuzah, fancy word for doorpost. That's what it means. A little box with the actual word of God encapsulated in it. And in reverence, they will touch it on the way in and out of a house, a mezuzah, literally binding the Word of God, saying, when you come into the gates of this home, we are about God's Word. 
The Shema is a traditional Jewish confession. It's the Hebrew word that means listen or hear, as I had said. And to the Hebrews, listening and obeying were one and the same. Now, many of you know that I have a hobby. I'm a living history interpreter on my day off on Friday afternoons at the Museum of the Bible. I dress up as a first century carpenter or an elder of the synagogue. And uh, when I'm in the synagogue, I quote the Shema. And I literally live uh, at least five hours a week in first century Nazareth. And so I've experienced first century life in a sense firsthand. And it's a small village and everyone lives together. A young son or daughter would work with their father or mother respectively, uh, rubbing elbows with each other constantly, always being together, cooking, harvesting, sowing, reaping, marching through the wine press, building a house together, baking bread, washing dishes, always speaking of God's word as commanded in the Shema. And see, we have kind of short-circuited this in our culture, right? We've outsourced our education. We've got, uh, we go to a school, we get on a bus, and we have almost insulated ourselves from one another, in a sense, with this technological advancements that we have. Um, it's almost like we need to get back to some of these uh, rich ways and rhythms of living. Reflect with me on a few questions. I want you to think real quick for a moment about your relationship with Jesus. Who was it that introduced you to Christ? Who was it? Who modeled and shared Jesus with you? by how they lived their lives, what they said to you as you walked along the way. Who was it? Well, chances are you have someone in mind, maybe a few people. Most certainly many of you have been influenced to follow Jesus by a family member, a friend. Many of you have been influenced by another adult in your life. For me, it was my youth leader, Tom Craig, my grandfather, a young life leader, other adults in my life walking with me, showing me Jesus. These people love God more than anything else. This love is expressed in the core of who they are. They poured forth this love of God from their heart, and they taught through their words. But more importantly, through how they live their deeds, what they did with their life, their faith they lived out in their lives and their homes. It was lived out and walked out along the way, and they followed the Shema. They heard. I mean, if you have kids and you say, did you hear me? And you usually say that when they're not doing what you ask them to do. You know the answer. If they're not doing what you ask them to do, they did not hear you. To the, again, to the Jew, it's not did sound waves enter into your ear canal and vibrate bones. That is not the question. Did you hear, fathom, understand, and do? That's different. Shema. See, the people who led you to Christ we're listening on some level to God. We are called to make disciples of all nations. This is Jesus' last words to us, the Great Commission, and to influence the next generation of followers of Jesus. This is a high call and is desperately needed in this next generation. This next generation, by the way, is called Gen Z. There's the boomers, the busters, Gen X, 
represent, that's me, the millennials, generation IY, now we have Gen Z. It's almost like the end of the alphabet. What does this mean for us? Is it over? <laughs> it's the end of time. I, I do not know. Gen Z is one of the most connected technology-wise, but is one of the most disconnected and lonely generations. NPR just did a story on this last week about how lonely and isolated our teenagers are, our young people, our children, our youth. They're isolated relationally speaking. They are cut off from one another. Hyperconnected, yet hyper-disconnected. David Kinnaman, the president of Barna Group, in his study, Gen Z, and I have a copy of it if you would like to borrow it after the service, says that this culture of beliefs and motivations that are shaping this next generation. He makes the contrast between the Hebrew, think Christian here, the Judeo-Christian understanding or way of thought, he calls it Jerusalem, and this generation's way of thinking. Think Babylon. And he juxtaposes these two worldviews. In his study, Kinnaman says, Jerusalem has faith at the center, while Babylon has faith at the margins. Jerusalem is mono-religious, while Babylon is pluralistic. Jerusalem is slower-paced, while Babylon is accelerated and frenetic. Jerusalem focuses on homogeneity, while Babylon is about diversity, but not in the good way, or the biblical sense of the word diversity here. Jerusalem has central control, while Babylon is open source. Jerusalem focuses on a simpler life, while Babylon has a bittersweet tension between simplicity and complexity. Finally, in Jerusalem, the idol is false piety, false religious, false devotion, while in Babylon, the idol is what? Fitting in, not missing out, FOMO. Does this sound familiar to you? Does it sound at all like Northern Virginia a little bit, Babylon? With Gen Z, the top influences are forces that are forming this generation. It's technology, 50%, 57%. This generation, they've nicknamed them screenagers. Well, we're behind screens. I've actually followed suit somewhat in this. The next influence is the parents. But the family does not influence Gen Z for their sense of self or identity. Think about that that the family is not getting it done in terms of influence, influencing self and identity for this generation. These relationships are complicated. Kenneman says that Gen Z's parents may be overly involved in many of the wrong ways and too detached in others. Gen Z tends to parent, uh, Gen X tends to parent Gen Z and we don't want to be accused of being helicopter parents. So we pull way back and we're very permissive. But then we are overbearing on things that we probably shouldn't be overbearing about. And when it comes to things like faith, well, for example, parents can be aggressive in shaping education or extracurricular activities while being passive about church or spiritual matters, giving a choice and preference over to the young person. Next, the influence of Gen Z is security. Money and success are seen as synonymous. They did this by showing pictures. Which of these pictures influence your life the most? One's a dollar sign, someone in a suit. 
The other one's a, a family, a home. One is someone praying. And so they, they had these photos, and they asked them, which has influenced you? Or what do you aspire to? 43% says money and success. The Gen Z values identity and gender identity and safe space. Next, the value is, is diversity, that all beliefs have equal validity. Inclusivity and acceptance and an, is an ultimate value. Lastly, Gen Z sees no ultimate value system or prevailing worldview. So only 4% of Gen Zers see any ultimate value system worldview. In other words, there's no, there's no one way, there's no right or wrong. If the Shema is the confession of faith for the Hebrew, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Well, the confession of faith for the Gen Zer would be Hear, O people, God is you, and whatever you need God to be, little g, you are who you say you are, you choose. You shall love happiness and success because you deserve it, and that is all there is. Wow. This generation needs Jesus. We do, all of us. And they need us. This generation needs us, and we need them. They are the church. Young people, you are the church. They need to be discipled. They need to become learners, fully formed, mature followers and learners of Christ. That's define that term for you. They need to be discipled. They need and crave connection, guidance, and mentorship. This generation, more than any other, will quit a job that is well-paying to choose a lower-paying job that has more connection, mentorship, and guidance. Think about what that communicates. And we as a church have this opportunity to provide this. Reggie Joyner in his book, Think Orange, Imagine the Impact When Family and Church Collide, that is the subtitle, he observes that the average church only has 40 hours in a given year to influence a life. All right, think about this. If you bring your youth to church every Sunday, bring them to education formation, youth group, you, you have travel soccer, things come up, you can't be here, that's understandable. On average, you are going to be influenced 40 hours. Your child will be influenced 40 hours in a given year. In contrast, Joyner asserts that the parents, they have, you have as a parent, 3,000 hours per year to influence a life. These are staggering numbers. And even with this reality, Joyner says that only one out of five people say that they have ever been contacted by their church to discuss the church's responsibility to influence their children spiritually. Yikes. And by the way, here's where I give you permission that you do not have to be employed by Christ the King 
I mean, we, we would like to screen you, sure. <laughs> we, we care about our children's safety, but you don't have to be an employee, employee here uh, to influence a youth's life for the sake of Christ. You can partner with families, parents. You can partner with the youth ministry, children's ministry. I hope this morning is our invitation to this important responsibility to influence our children and youth spiritually. This is your invite. Youth mentoring ushers, sound people, worship leaders. We have Youth Sunday coming up June the 3rd where I will be giving this message to the 10 o'clock service. So we'll have a review. And, and my hope is that everyone is influencing our children and youth for the sake of Christ. Walt Mueller from the Center of Parent, for Parent and Youth Understanding, this is a newsletter that I put in the youth ministry email every, every week. And it comes out monthly. He says that as a parent... You have been given the primary responsibility for the spiritual welfare and nurture of your children. And he cites Deuteronomy 6. And because you grew up in a world that's different from the world of your teen, because many of us adults here have grown up in a world that's different from our teens, we must view this calling as a cross-cultural ministry venture. I would add, as a church and a community of believers, we also have been given the responsibility for the spiritual nurture of our children and youth, and that this ministry is cross-cultural. So if it's uncomfortable, that is to be expected. In the baptismal service from the Book of Common Prayer, we make a commitment to one another. The baptismal covenant asks, will you who witness these vows do all in your power to support these persons in their life in Christ. Raise your hand if you've been to a baptismal service in your life. All right, that's all of us, almost. Interesting. When you are there, you respond to that question with, we will. These are more than just words we say. This is a vow to be taken seriously, which is in line with God's word and God's desire for us to make disciples of all nations. Will you who witness this vow do all in your power to support these persons in their life in Christ? Parents are instructed by Paul in Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Um, my wife is working on that one with me. I tease the children a little bit in my household. But bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. If the church is the family of God and we are all called to make disciples, I believe that we are also to bring children and youth up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. This task takes everyone. No one gets a pass. No one has the luxury of sitting on the bench. There's too much at stake and too much work to be done. Full stop. The harvest is truly plentiful and the laborers are few. This model of parents and adults and the church committing to the spiritual welfare of children and youth is also reflected in Christ the King's mission statement. To worship our crucified and risen king in the rich Anglican tradition. To make him known in our community by what we say and do. And to grow together as a church family. Grow together how? In Christ. Grow together in our relationship with God and one another. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. G. Campbell Morgan said it this way. The church did most for the world when the church was least like the world. 
How is our church excelling at being a separated people? In what ways might our church have slipped into sameness with the world? Are we discipling our youth and children? David E. Fitch, and I'm going to close with these last remarks here. David E. Fitch, in his book, Seven Practices for the Church on Mission, in his chapter, Being with Children, expresses our baptismal covenant and our responsibility well. He says, as a church, we have ways of grafting parents and godparents and communities into a supportive and communal practices that together, as part of regular family life, again, not as a substitute for, but together with families, allow us to pray, teach, read, and direct a young person's life. We have ways of initiating young people into adulthood. All of these practices are inseparable from what it means to be the church. What we often miss, however, is the reality that Jesus becomes, and I love this, Jesus becomes present in these spaces. Remember, I told you you need youth because discipling is an opportunity for you to encounter Jesus. Mentoring is an opportunity for you to encounter Jesus in these spaces. As the adult becomes present to the young person, the space between them becomes the place of God's faithful presence. In what ways will you experience Jesus in a young person's life here at Christ the King? How is God calling you to mentor or disciple a youth in the community? At the least, what can you do to introduce yourself to a youth this week? Make a friend at church that is not the same age as you. Meet their parents as well, of course. Who can you help out? How can you partner with a family or ministry children's ministry, youth ministry, worship ministry, sound, ushering. How can you partner with a youth or disciple a youth in your sphere of influence at Christ the King? Here's my closing benediction and closing prayer for us. May we come to know Jesus and his love as we love others, fulfilling Christ's commandment that we love one another as Christ has loved us. Recognizing that greater love has no one than this, then he lay his life down for his friends. And we are his friends if we do what he commands us. Let's pray. Almighty God, Heavenly Father, you have blessed us all here at Christ the King with the joy and care of our children and youth. Give us calm strength and patient wisdom as we help bring them up, fulfilling our baptismal vows to do all in our power to support these persons in their life in Christ, that we may teach them to love you, the one true God, with all of their heart, soul, and might, and to love whatever is just and true and good, following the example of our Savior, Jesus Christ. God, our Father, you see our children and youth growing up in an unsteady and confusing world. Show these young people and all of us with this high calling of serving them that your way gives more life than the ways of this world. And that following you is better than chasing after our selfish goals. Help them and us to take failure, not as a measure of our worth, but as a chance for a new start. Give us strength to hold our faith in you 
and keep alive our joy in your creation through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen and amen.